Hello, and thank you for hopping on and listening to this week's episode of the Community Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Warner, and uh, co-hosting with me today is the Volunteer Services Manager, who's now sort of hopping here to help out on our podcast as a co-host, Chelsea Sears. Chelsea, how are you this fine afternoon? I'm doing really good, Cole. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing okay. And uh, our guest today is uh, Jennifer King. She's been on a couple times here, so I won't go through all of her credentials like I always do. You can check those out, but they will be in the episode description because she's got a lot of credentials and um, she does a lot of great work here at Hospice of Davidson County. Jennifer King, how's how's it going today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I promised you some hospice-specific episodes. We featured a lot of great community organizations over the past few episodes and past few months. I promised some hospice episodes because we do believe that it's helpful to you all listening when we can maybe provide some information on some of the common things that hospice provides not only to its patients, but also their families and the community through the work that they do. And and it and because hospice maybe isn't the most well-known of, of topics or subjects, that we can provide some really great education on some very specific issues that, that you may see a lot, especially if you have experience with hospice care. And that's what we're going to attempt to do today. So Jennifer, we'll just to introduce the episode, what we're going to talk about today is something that I think you'll say is probably pretty common, but confusion, delirium, those types of, I guess we could say altered mental states in hospice patients and just a little bit of education around that. So Jennifer, if you could just talk a little bit about confusion and delirium in hospice patients and, and what that looks like. Like you said, confusion and delirium are extremely common symptoms of end of life. And I think everybody experiences it a little bit different. Confusion can be that you may mix up your day and night or your your sleep-wake cycles is what we call it. This can exhaust patients and caregivers. You can forget what year it is or where you are. Patients have trouble following a specific train of thought or finding the words to be able to express themselves appropriately. And again, those are all very common. And with that sense of confusion can create agitation, irritation. People get annoyed because you don't understand what I'm trying to say. And especially if someone tries to correct someone that's confused, that really doesn't benefit them. So that can cause more agitation. So those are things that are extremely common for, I think, all hospice patients. Those, Those are very, very common symptoms. Some causes of that can be changes in the routine. If they were living home alone and now they've moved in with you, that's changed how how they run their life. So that can lead to confusion. Disease progression can definitely lead to confusion as well. If you have COPD, you know, you're going to have some oxygen deprivation and that can lead to confusion. Brain tumors, of course, that can lead to confusion depending on where the, the tumor is located. End-stage liver or kidney disease, those both lead to a lot of confusion because you're building up toxins in your body that you can't remove. Medications that are used at end of life can often cause confusion. Lack of sleep is a big one and stress is another big one. Those all can lead up to some 
confusion, and agitation. When you are talking about correcting and how that can create some more agitation and annoy the patient that um, maybe said the wrong year or something like that, what is your suggestion to do instead that maybe would be helpful for these caregivers and loved ones to kind of keep in the back of their mind when maybe they start seeing these types of things? An important thing is to be very flexible. Just go with the flow. If they're confused and it's not hurting them, or upsetting them in any way, just go with it. It doesn't really matter what year they think it is. It doesn't really matter what day of the week they think it is. Those aren't really affecting them. But if you start to correct them, then they'll realize they were confused and that can upset them. So anything they say, you just kind of want to go along with it if it's not upsetting them in any way. If it's something that they're confused about that is causing them to be anxious and scared, then you can definitely jump in and, and correct them in a positive way. If, if they think that it's, you know, if somebody's in the house or if something is a, making them paranoid or upset, you can say, well, no, that's, that's not going on. It's just this or that. If they hear a sound, you can say, no, it's, it's just something else going on. You don't, you don't have to go along with that one, obviously. You just want to do anything you can to comfort them in that situation. You know, and I'm sure we'll get to more of some of those helpful things here in a second, but I just wanted to stop here because something you said, it's probably, and you would agree that this is a little bit easier said than done, right? Because your loved one experiencing that change, wanting to correct them, wanting, you know, it's almost like, you know, sort of going with this is just as hard for our family members as it is, you know, to see that happening with the patient. How would you say that in your experience in hospice care, you've seen family members experience specifically that early confusion or or some of that confusion that relates to their disease progress? I think one thing that is super common, which you and I talked about earlier, is if your parent calls you their spouse. That is not uncommon at all because they've known their spouse a whole lot longer than they've known you. They've been constant in their life longer, so that's not uncommon. And it's probably not too uncommon that you look like their spouse. So you can't be offended by that or take it personal at all because their frame of mind is not the same as yours. It's not the, fr- the same as it was for them prior to this disease progression. So you have to be very understanding and very forgiving of anything that may come up. Now, agitation that comes along with the confusion, that's also something that the close caregivers, they really get the brunt of that. So that's something else that you need to to take into consideration when they do get confused is it is very, very hard. It is hard. So you need to let your nurse know or whoever is helping you out in your situation, let them know what's going on because there may be something that we can do for that. Really, and and the only other thing that kind of goes along with the correcting and things like that is, and, and because of some of my own experiences, you try to say, oh, there's nobody in the house. Oh, there's, that's just a noise and things like that. And sometimes patients can get a little aggressive and that sometimes is never would be that their type of personality. And so for family members who are saying, this is not what my dad would ever do. This is nothing that we've ever seen before. So those kinds of things, like as far as, well, now he wants to leave the house and we can't, we can't hardly get him back, you know, coach him back in the home and things like that. Do you have any other maybe 
the top two or top three things that you would say would be helpful for that. Because like you were saying with let your nurse know, as far as maybe there's something that they can do, like at what point is there the something else we can do? Anytime you see a difference in your loved one, you need to let somebody know. That can just be a symptom of delirium. If they have a sudden onset of confusion, that can be related to a possible infection. Say somebody has a urinary tract infection or pneumonia, that can cause delirium, which is a lot like confusion, but a little different. Like I said, it's a sudden onset and that's super common in the last days and weeks of life. It can come and go. Whereas, you know, dementia or if you're just having solid confusion, those are things that typically just get worse. Delirium can come and go, okay? Mom can be extremely normal and kind of snap into thinking that it was 20 years ago and that you're her sister and she just has no absolutely idea what's going on. Then you need to be like, hey, she's acting a little funny, Um And take note of things. Has she had a cough recently? Has she had any trouble breathing? Is she going to the bathroom more frequently? Does her urine smell bad? Those are things that you should let your nurse know. Um, Other things that can cause delirium are kind of simple things. Constipation, dehydration, urinary retention, changes in your oxygen level, changes in your blood sugar. Unrelieved pain is something you should take note of too, because if you're hurting all the time, your mind's just not right because you've been focusing on this pain. So if you can get things like that under control, you likely will get them out of this delirium process. Now, as far as safety concerns, whenever someone is confused or delirious, you need to be very mindful of appliances that you have in the home of small children or pets that they can trip over um, and the locks on your doors. Um, They have things at a lot of stores that are just little stick-on alarms that you can put on your door. So if a a door is open, then it buzzes real loud. Um, If this is a patient that's generally in the bed, but they start getting confused, they make bed alarms so they won't just fall. So you'll know whenever they are getting out of the bed. Even if you don't make it to them and they do fall, at least they're not laying there forever because you had no idea that they fell. Those are all kind of more simple home remedies to make sure that somebody's safe. Those are some really great tips, Jen. And I think, you know, two things we wanted to accomplish in this episode. One is is providing those helpful tips. And number two is is sort of talk about the way we work and and we we deal with them and, and then probably also the effect, you know, recognizing the emotional and psychological effect it can have on families seeing this. For those, you know, we talk about agitation or, or confusion, and I know that sometimes patients often say things that maybe they, they don't really mean or, or seem outside of their personality, as, as, as Chelsea was just mentioning a minute ago. What would you say to those families in terms of to, to maybe lessen the emotional burden of hearing some of those things or you know, or at least processing the changes that they're seeing in, in, in their family member? What what might you say to them? I'd say that you're doing the best that you can do. There's absolutely nothing that you did wrong to cause this. Generally, the people that get the brunt of the negativity are the ones that the patient's closest to. 
So if you've been their caregiver all the time and they're being so awful and so mean to you, I mean, it's kind of a compliment because they they know that either way you're going to be there. So they can be nice to other people because they're not there all the time. You still have kind of that social norm, but the people you're closest to, those are the ones you're going to be meanest to. But you're doing a great job. And if you are having trouble, then definitely reach out to somebody, reach out to us, let somebody know. So talking about the tips and things, and, and this can be useful if, if you're a hospice patient, if your loved one's a hospice patient or they're not, right? Hospice specifically has some, has some great treatments, some things that we do to help patients with this. Some that are medication related, others are, like you said, things, habit behaviors that, that families can do to, to be helpful to the patient. Is this, is treating confusion, delirium, these types of perceptual changes in patients, is this something that's very common under the hospice care plan? And if you can, please talk about that. Yes, it, it is very common because it's something that happens to almost everybody. Um, so we I think we've talked about it before. We have emergency kits out in the home. So if someone does become acutely delirious, there's medications in the home that we have ready for that, for anxiety. There's other medications that you can get because insomnia is a big one that becomes an issue. And that runs your caregiver ragged. That runs the patient ragged. So let somebody know and we can get medications out for that to help them sleep. There are several different medications that can be used after you rule out an infection or oxygen, urinary retention or constipation, after you rule those things out, then we move on to, to medication to help treat that. So that's not uncommon at all. It is extremely common to see these things. Yeah, that's actually one thing that happened not too long ago with a new admission that we had. And she was becoming unsteady with her gait and confused as well. And the family member was like, you know, I, I think medicine is what needs to happen. But then I get a phone call. Well, I actually called her and she was like, mama is um, sleeping more. In fact, she slept all day and all night. And, and then as soon as maybe she, the medicine wore off, she was right back to how she was acting before. And what I told her obviously was, okay, I will have your case manager contact you and she can go over with you about dosing and things like that and what things to look for. But that is one thing that I could hear the fear in her voice, just saying, what did I do? What, what wrong thing did I do in regards of this medicine? And really, I think a lot of people think I want to make sure she's safe, but then there's also the point of, well, well, what does safe look like if all she's doing is sleeping? Is that really the best thing for her? You know what I mean? Like if you could maybe elaborate more on as far as with, with dosing with someone who was newly introduced to a medicine and sometimes how that can look. You can get, get very sleepy, lethargic um, whenever you first start on a medication. Um, generally, as a rule, we like to start low and go slow. Um, and a lot of our, our little old people are pretty naive to any of these medications. So you will see some increased sleep for a little while. As soon as their body gets used to it, they'll generally be able to act a little more functional. That's when you want to go back to kind of what, what your goals of care are. Would you rather a person, you know, 
be more confused and be upset just because they're just so that they can be awake? Or would you rather them be a little more sedated? And that's probably a personal preference to the patient. You know, if, if the patient has ever had anybody in hospice care or watched anybody at end of life, they probably have their own preference about what they prefer one thing versus the other. I know I'm, I do. I'm sure you guys do too, because it's something that we deal with. If I'm confused and upset all the time, by, by any means, please sedate me. I don't want to be upset about anything. Um, but that, that's each patient in each family's personal preference. And we can accommodate any of that. Well, and I know that some of that gets into very individualized care. And we do that here at this hospice and at hospices around the country, right? It's very, even though we, we like to bring these educations to that talk to a general audience, care plans and the, the specific treatment that you receive is very individualized to each person. And so, you know, you talked about the goals of care and we, we've had episodes on, you know, sort of healthcare planning and actually coming up here, we're hoping to have a, an episode or two on those discussions around goals of care in the hospice care plan and what that often looks like. And, and I'm sure we'll dive into that more. So thank you, Jennifer, for explaining a little bit about sort of why it's so important if we're giving out, if we're talking about something like perceptual changes or, or confusion and delirium, why it could look so different depending on disease progress, you know, what, what the goals of care are and all that. Lastly, before we go, you know, we talked about the reasons that we're doing this episode. If families have questions about whether, whether hospice patients, you know, I guess we'll speak directly to them since that's who we are as a hospice organization for, for families that have questions, would there be a message for how they get more information on what they're seeing in their loved one? You know, is it, we don't want anyone to feel bad for asking a question or for, for wanting more information. So how do families go about doing that? I think as a nurse dealing with people in general, you've heard about anything. And so you can ask your nurse or your aide or anybody that is part of your care team. You can ask us about anything and we will not bat an eye because we've probably heard it or worse before. I think you're right. Everybody does feel a little bit like, Oh, Oh, I hope they don't judge me. <laughs> but no, it's it's common. And if it's your first time ever going through an end of life experience with someone, it is a completely alien experience. And you you do constantly wonder, am I doing this right? You are. If you have their best intentions in mind, you are doing it right. They're, everybody's experience is different. But the main thing is to be calm with your loved one. And ask questions and reach out for help from our staff or whoever you're dealing with. Ask any questions. There are no terrible questions. There are no stupid questions. Because if you don't know, you don't know. And we're here to help. So if you're not a patient of ours and you think maybe you should be or you're having any concerns, you definitely should reach out to the patient's primary caregiver whoever your loved one is, reach out to their primary caregiver for more information. All right. And we, uh, we sometimes do this just every once in a while. I think I like to do it just to make sure that the information is, is out there and fresh. Uh, we'll put some, some links to resources that, that we have available uh, in the episode description. Otherwise, Jennifer, I, I appreciate you coming on to discuss 
this subject. It's tough, I know, to to maybe think about for some of you out there that that this is something that that a lot of people face. Uh, for those of you, hopefully, you find a little bit comforting that that we're on here talking about how common it is because maybe you've seen it in a loved one in, in either an end of life experience or a disease process, and so hopefully you you find that that comforting a little bit. Chelsea, I appreciate you. Uh, co-hosting with me today and uh, you'll be back on for many more of these and uh, again we appreciate uh, your support in the community for listening to these podcasts if you have a topic that you want to hear you can always visit us email us at podcast at hospiceofdavidson.org we'll be putting out more of these hospice education type specific episodes for you and so we'd love to maybe discuss an episode that uh, has a topic uh, that's maybe near and dear to your heart and so, Jennifer, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. If you like what you heard, you can rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.